All right, man, it is so good to be with you all this morning and, and uh, to be able to worship together and see what God is, is doing in this place. We, uh, we came back from the field about, uh, well, gosh, it's going on 13 years now. It just seems like forever, um, having served for almost 20 years overseas. And, and Terry Lee was one of those people that, that we first got to know when we came back. And, and I am so excited for you all to have him and Jimmy here um, as your pastors and, and to be able to lead you as they do. They are just special men and, and just have loved Terry Lee and Abby tremendously. They have been such a blessing in my life and in my family's life and, and uh, just, just love these guys, man. They're just amazing. So I'm so thankful for them and for their beautiful family now. So when they left, man, I don't remember kids, but uh, now all of a sudden they've got these kids running around and they're just beautiful and, and, uh, and so much fun. Um, so it's great to see, man. I'm excited uh, as we get out of COVID now. We're finally going on mission trips again. That's exciting for me. Um, I, I just I love being overseas. I love seeing what God is doing around the world and uh, being able to participate in that. And uh, so I love the fact that uh, you guys are heading overseas and you got this trip planned and and uh, just waiting to see what what God is going to do. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at a story this morning out of Acts, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, just a, an amazing story in, in so many ways and, and uh, just the way that, that God works. You know, one of the things that, that we were able to do when, when Terry Lee was on, on staff at, uh, at Highview, we did a number of different things, but one was just really blow out a... Uh, English is a second language ministry, and, and they were a big part of that, and then when they, where they lived and the gospel sharing and different things that went on. But I remember that ministry, and, and we're still doing different forms of it in different ways today. Of course, COVID did all kinds of stuff to, to those types of things, but we're getting those things rolling again. And, and I remember one day, I received a phone call from uh, one of our, our staff members' wives. It was a good friend, and and she called and said, hey, listen, there is this guy who wants to, to meet with you. And uh, I said, man, that, that sounds great. Can you give me any information about him? And she said, no, the only thing I can tell you is he's willing to pay you to come and tell him about the gospel. Well, you know, you, you can't beat that, right? I mean, somebody's going to pay you to come tell him the gospel. So I went and, and I met him. He was, he was a guy by the name of, of Zaidun, and, and I went and we, we started meeting together over a period of months, and I started to learn his story. He was a refugee out of, out of Iraq, and uh, he had, uh, when he was in, in university, he was pursuing, he knew that there was something about Islam that was not right, and so he was pursuing different world religions. He came from a relatively wealthy family, and and had traveled to different parts of the world. He'd explored some Hinduism, he'd explored some Buddhism, and, and he just wasn't finding what he was looking for. And finally, he was, he was starting to experiment and, and seek things out according to the gospel and, and was trying to find out who Jesus was. And of course, this was back in the time of, of President Bush and, and uh, the war in Iraq. And as a result of his seeking, he got shot. And um, so he, he'd end up in the hospital and realized, listen, the only way I'm going to be able to really pursue this is to leave the country. And so he, he left Iraq as a refugee, ended up in Jordan, um, was fast-tracked to the United States. But in Jordan, he was told, now listen, when you go to the United States, Christians are going to come to your door. And he kept his mouth shut because he was still in Jordan, and he thought, 
yes. Um, Christians are going to come to my door. And they said, now listen, when Christians come, just take whatever they got, but, but don't have anything to do with them. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. Um, and uh, so they also said, though, they said, listen, if you step inside a church, they'll kick you out because you're a Muslim, right? So you can't go inside a church. Now, he didn't know what to think about that, but it made him a little bit nervous. And so he came to the United States, got an apartment in Louisville, Kentucky, and he waited. Like I said, he had, had a, came from a relatively wealthy family. He had a little job for a short time, but didn't really need to work. And so he just waited, man. He just, he just sat. He, he waited. He, he, people said Christians would come to his door. So he's waiting for Christians to come to his door. And he waits for months. And nobody comes to his door. And he's afraid to go into a church because, you know, he wasn't sure. He, he did come from Iraq, and, and he could sense, you know, different things in the United States. And so he thought, well, I can't, I can't go into to a church, and I, I wouldn't know what church to go into anyway. And they said Christians were going to come to my door. So he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And one day, he's, he's, he's getting a little frustrated now. He's, he's like, God, you know, I... I kind of like, would like to know, right? I, would you tell me something? And, and would you send somebody my way or something? And, and he goes home that day, and, and outside of his apartment, there was some trash. He's picking up the trash, and he picks up a, a card. And on the card, it was, it was for a free Bible. You could write away, and you'd get a free Bible. And he thought, well, okay. I mean, if nobody's going to come to my door, I'll write away, and I'll get a free Bible. Well, they, they send him this English Bible. It's an ESV Bible. And his English is so-so. It's, it's not bad, but it's not great either. And so he gets this English Bible, but inside the English Bible, there, there's a card that, that, that tells him, thank you for requesting the Bible, and he gave a phone number. He thought, okay, well, I'm going to call the phone number and see what can happen. And I, I want you to understand just the grace and the providence of God, right? So he calls this phone number, and it just so happens, right, just so happens to be the cousin of one of our pastor's wives. It was the wife's pastor, wife's cousin in Louisville, Kentucky. And he, he tells, he identifies where he is, gives her his address and his phone number and says, listen, I, I'll pay somebody just to come tell me the gospel. And uh, of course, he didn't say it quite like that. He, he said, I, I need somebody to tell me about Jesus. And and so she said, well, listen, just, just give me a little bit, and uh, we'll have somebody call you. And so she immediately called her cousin, who immediately called me, and so then I called him. And began this, this relationship with Zaidun over the next period of three to four months. I'm sharing the gospel with him and, and just kind of walking through, well, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And what are the differences in what he had always known about Islam and Christianity? All of these different things. And... I'll never forget the day we're, we're, we're talking, and, and he said to me, John, he said, I, why can't I get baptized? He'd been coming to church at that point, and he said, well, why, why can't I get baptized? I thought, well, I don't know. Why can't you get baptized? You know, absolutely, you can get baptized. And, and uh, as he had come to faith during that, that process, during that time, and we were able to baptize him there at, at the church, and and to just see this change of life, right? See this change of heart, all because, all because God was at work. And this is what I want us to see this morning as we look at, at Acts chapter 8. It's a story much like my story about Zaidun, about an Ethiopian. An Ethiopian who had traveled all the way to Jerusalem. An Ethiopian who had, had bought a scroll. An Ethiopian who wanted to know 
and had left Israel, left Jerusalem without any knowledge, and then Jesus encounters him through Philip. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're just going to read the first couple of of verses in Acts chapter 8. And uh, beginning with verse 26, the passage says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful, God, for the way that you work, the way that you call us, the way that you move in us. Father, for the privilege that we have to know you, The privilege that we have, Father, to be in relationship with you. And Father, this morning I pray that you would speak through your word. God, that you'd draw us to yourself and that you would help us see the beauty of the gospel and the grace and and the mercy that you have for all nations and for all peoples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, this is, this is a, an amazing story we find in, in the book of Acts in, in chapter 8. If you'll remember prior to that, we go through chapter 7, and, and the, the early church is there in Jerusalem. They're trying to figure out their place, right? And, and uh, just in, in class the other day, we were talking about the very first part of the, the book of Acts and, and how that church was meeting in the temple and, and they're meeting in homes and they're going from house to house and they're worshiping and, and they're knowing the Lord. But you remember that, that as they did that, slowly persecution starts to come within the church, right? They're, they're within Jerusalem. There starts to be a lot of pressure that is developing. And in Acts chapter 7, we, we see the story of the stoning of Stephen and, and we see Saul is there. And then the beginning of Acts chapter 8, Saul is now going house to house and he's throwing people in prison and he's, he's putting them in jail and he's separating families and just, you know, all the wickedness of, of who Saul was. And, and man, I hope you, you know, you see the, the truth of what's going on there because then later you see his conversion. You see this amazing change that takes place. But man, this is a hard time. And so what happens is the church then, it scatters, right? Because remember in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, this was one of the feasts that people would travel from around the world to come and celebrate there in Jerusalem. They get saved with the preaching of the gospel. They're sitting around there. They're learning. They're growing. They've established um, um, deacons now in Acts chapter chapter 7, and all of a sudden then this persecution comes, and so they spread out, and, and they go to all of these different places. And, and one of those people that gets spread is, is a man by the name of, of Philip. Philip was one of the very first deacons that was ever chosen. As a result of that, we know that he was a Hellenist, because you remember the deacons were chosen because the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebrew-speaking Jews weren't getting along very well in the church. We can't imagine fights in church, but they weren't getting along very well. I know that doesn't happen around here, but, but the, so, so they chose all of these, these Hellenist deacons to, to, to help take care of the food and, and to take care of the people, and, and Philip was, was one of those. So what we know about Philip is that he was a Greek-speaking Jew. That means that he didn't probably grow up in Israel. He was part of the dispersion of Jeremiah chapter 29. If you go back and read Jeremiah chapter 29, 
He was a part of the dispersion, and he had grown up in a Greek context, and so his primary language was Greek, so we call him uh, a Hellenist, a Greek-speaking Jew. He had escaped this persecution, and we find him in Samaria. Now, for those of you who have been to Israel, you know that there are parts of Israel that are green and beautiful, but slowly as we get outside of Israel, we, we get a lot of desert, right? And, and it starts to become wilderness. In fact, that's what the, the passage says in verse 26. God comes to Philip and says, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. This is a desert place. So, so we know that, that, that it wasn't just that it wasn't, there weren't a lot of people there, but it was a, it was a dry and, and arid place. Now, um, as, as Philip then does what, what God calls him to do, and, and, uh, and I love that, you know, um, Philip has, has risen up, he's, he's gone, and, and he has, has gone into Samaria. You remember Jesus was with the Samaritans and the Samaritan woman, and, and there was a tremendous movement of God in Samaria, and and things were exciting, and, and you can imagine that as, as they're proclaiming the Messiah and, and they're reflecting on Jesus and, and the Samaritan woman and what God did in the city of Samaria, they're seeing these really amazing things going on, and, and God says to, to, to Philip, I want you to go to this desert place. I want you to go to this place where nobody is. And, and even today, as you're going down in, in Jerusalem along the Med, and you get to what is modern-day Gaza, but you're going down into that region, you you see the aridness, and, and you see the dryness. It's hard to live in those places, and, and you don't just have big communities of people, right? And, and God is saying to, to, to Philip, I want you to go down there. And, and, and I love the fact that in, in the Word, which often tells us about the struggles that people have listening to the Lord, you just see Philip respond. You just see Philip respond, and, and, and off he goes. Off he goes. You know, when, uh, when we were starting this morning, Terry Lee was looking around the congregation, and he was saying, this guy, man, he's, he's looking at going here, and this guy, he's looking at going here, and this guy's looking at going here, and, and man, I loved hearing about the places, the, the, the way that God is calling you guys out, and the way that God is working in your hearts to, to, to move you, right? So often, we, we, we just want to stay right where we are, right? But, but yet, God, sometimes, man, he, he calls us out. He, he calls us to go, right? And, and we have this passion, this heart to go and, and, and to do and to, to be in other parts of, of, of the world. I, I remember when, when God got a hold of me, I was, I was just young. I, I, was, I was actually born overseas. My parents were missionaries. My grandparents were missionaries on both sides. So my parents actually met in a crib um, when they were born. My dad's a little bit over a year, a little more than a year older than my mom. And there's this great picture of them in the crib together. Um, my dad has a sly little look on his face, and my mom's crashed, and, and I love that picture. It's just an awesome picture. Um, they, they didn't actually then, they, they separated, and, and my dad went to Ecuador. My mom stayed in Colombia, and, and then they met again in college. But um, So I have this rich tradition of missions, right? I mean, I'm, I'm third-gen um, missionary in a lot of respects. And, but I remember when, when God began to speak to me about the world, Right? And the needs of, of the world. I grew up in, in Missouri. I, I, I apologize. I, I, I did grow up in Kansas City. Yeah, I know. Go ahead. You can say whatever you need to say at this particular moment in time. 
Um, I'll just repeat it back from last year, right? So a year ago, I would say the same thing to you all. So, um, <laughs> so I did grow up in Kansas City. And, uh, um, but I remember, you know, when, when I was just a young man, and, and as I looked at the world and the needs of the world, right, where, where there are no churches, those desert places, those hard places that, that nobody else will go to, um, I, one of the greatest joys of my life has, has been to, to go to some of those places in the world and, and to be able to take the gospel there for the very first time, right? To, to be in a place where the gospel has never been preached and, and to be able to talk about Jesus in those places. We did a lot of relief and development work where we were and, and we would go into villages and we'd bring in clean water and we'd do medical and, and just different projects like that. And as a result of that, people would open up their homes and they'd invite us for dinner and, and we'd get the opportunity to share the gospel in those places. And man, it was just amazing to be able to lay out the gospel in its simplicity and its purity and its beauty, right, for the very first time in their lives. And, and as, as Philip is being called by God, he, he's saying, but God, you're sending me to a desert place. And, and yet he gets up and, and he goes. And I, I think that, you know, as we, we look at the life of Philip, I think this is so important for all of us. You know, as, as God calls us, man, we got to go. We, we, gotta, we have to respond. We, we have to, to do, right? We have to, we have to be. The second person that, that we see here in, in this text is, is an Ethiopian, and, and Luke is careful to, to describe for us, and, and he, he tells us that he's a eunuch. Now, you know, in, in this particular time and age, uh, a lot of times these, these boys were made eunuchs so that they could take care of harems or they would take care of, of the finances, things like that, because they became very loyal to, to the queen or they became very loyal to the king. And so you see this, this man um, and, and he's described for us so that we know a couple of things about him. So he's a eunuch, he's, he's of the official of Candace, she's queen of the Ethiopians. Um, so he's African, um, he's in charge of her treasury, and he's come to Jerusalem to worship. I, I, I love that. He's come to Jerusalem to, to worship. So, so we know that, that he is a God-fearer, right? First of all, we know that he is a God-fearer. Now, there is a possibility that, that he could have even been Jewish. There's a possibility he could have been Jewish. And in the 1980s, there was a whole group of Jews, the, the Falasha Jews, they, they're Jewish people in Ethiopia, that were airlifted out. And, and uh, there, there's been different movies made about that. Um, so, so there was a huge diaspora of Jewish people in Ethiopia that looked very Ethiopian. So, you know, sometimes we get a racial profile for what it is to be Jewish, and, and that's not accurate at all. Um, so you have all of these Ethiopians that were moved to Israel. So there's a possibility that he could have been Jewish. That's one of the reasons that it's important to note that he was a eunuch, right? So if he was Jewish, note that he was a eunuch. The second thing, if he wasn't Jewish and he was just a God-fearer, he was unable to convert to Judaism because he was a eunuch, right? So because of what had taken place and been done to him, he wasn't allowed to convert to Judaism, but he could be a God-fearer. And we know that he's a God-fearer because here he is, he comes to Jerusalem in order to worship. There's a very good possibility that he came for Passover, 50 days later is Pentecost, so there's a very good possibility that he even saw the crucifixion. 
We, we don't know that, obviously, but there's a very good possibility because this is quite a trek to make. So you could imagine it's not something you just do for a couple of days, right? Or, or, or just a week or so. If you're going to make that trek, you're going to do it for a period of time. So it's very possible he came for Passover, which was a requirement for Jews to come back to. And then he would have stayed all the way through Pentecost. So he would have been in Israel to see a lot of the things that were going on, a lot of the events, the, the crucifixion of Jesus. And then even potentially hearing about the, 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 uh, the Pentecost, right, and, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and maybe even seeing some of the things of, of the early church. But because he was a eunuch, he wasn't allowed in the temple, right? He wasn't allowed in the temple. He would have been allowed in the court of Gentiles, but if you remember the court of Gentiles, which, by the way, was dedicated by Solomon all the way back in 1 Kings, beautiful prayer of dedication, this was where Gentiles were to come and worship. But what had happened to the court of Gentiles? Well, in Luke 19.45, do you remember Jesus comes into the court of Gentiles and, and he starts turning over tables, starts whipping people and says, this is to be the house of prayer. And he was talking about the court of Gentiles. So what the Jews had done, the Jewish people had done, is they had turned this particular area into their, their market, right? In, in Morocco, we'd call it a sook. And, and, and it's where they sold all the, the birds and the animals for sacrifice. It's where they changed the money. And, and he calls it a den of thieves because of what they had done, but mostly because they had taken the place of worship away from Gentiles. So if this Ethiopian who was a eunuch had gone to Israel and had gone to Jerusalem, he wasn't allowed anywhere near the temple. He couldn't go in and worship anywhere. He couldn't be a part of, of what was traditional worship. He was outcast, he was separated, he was isolated from all of the things that he had come to do. The other thing that we know about him is that he was an official in, in the, 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 the court of Candace. He was in charge of the treasury. Um, so he was, he was relatively wealthy. And we know that he was relatively wealthy because then later in the story, we see that he had bought the scrolls of the prophet Isaiah, right? This wasn't something that, you know, you just go run to a bookstore and buy, right? You, you don't just buy the scrolls, right? There, there's not a scroll shop. Um, I got a feeling Jimmy likes to spend a lot of time in those. You know, as he's working on his PhD, just books, right? Stacks all up, right? It's just stacks everywhere. Um, and uh, so there's not a scroll shop that you go to, right? So this, this particular Ethiopian had to, to go about and, and, and find these scrolls. Last year, I was able to, to go to, to Israel. We took a group of students to Israel. And we went up to Masada. So that's the, the big fortress of Saul. And, and uh, um, if, if you remember the story of Masada. But anyway, up at the very top of, their, uh, of the, 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 the fortress, there was a room. And there was a guy painstakingly writing out the scrolls. He was a Jewish scribe. And, you know, these were handwritten scrolls, right? And, and he was painstakingly writing it in perfection, right, as he was writing. And uh, so this is, this is what this Ethiopian's got. So, so we know that, that he has some wealth, he has, he has some power, but he's an outsider. Or he doesn't belong. And there are lots of reasons for, for the, that which he doesn't belong, but, but he doesn't belong. And uh, so we see this man who wants to understand the things of God, but isn't given the opportunity. And so he buys the scroll of Isaiah and he leaves, right? He leaves. I, I always find that just amazing when I, I look at that text 
because here you have the budding church, it's exploding, right? And, and, and people are coming to faith, they're worshiping in the temple though. And, and here's this Ethiopian, he's looking for something and, and he misses it. He, he leaves Israel, he leaves Jerusalem, and, and he hasn't had any encounter. Nobody's shared with him, nobody's talked to him. Nobody's encountered him. Maybe because he was wealthy and he was separated, I don't know, but, but, but it, it, it's like my, my friends I do, man, he, he, was, he literally, he's sitting in his house waiting for someone to come and tell him about Jesus. I wonder how many people are waiting. I wonder how many people feel ostracized, how many people feel separated, how many people feel like, like they, they, they don't, they don't fit. They, 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 they feel like, man, if I step foot inside a worship gathering like this, man, the roof will cave in because I've, I've, just, I've done so many bad things. I'm, I'm so wrong in who I am and so separated from the rest of society. I wonder how many people are just waiting. They're just waiting. But as he waits, he reads, and, and I love as the, the passage goes on in verse 29, the Spirit says to Philip, and again, Philip is just so responsive to the Spirit of God as he speaks to him, says, go over and, and join this chariot. You know, um, we don't know how the Spirit says this to, to Philip. I, I've never heard audible voices from God, just for clarification. Um, I love John Piper. He says, if you want to hear the audible voice of God, just open up your Bible and read it out loud. Um, I think that's probably a pretty good idea. Um, I, I think that, that Philip, as he looked around him, he knew, this is what I'm here for. You know, sometimes if we just open up our eyes, if we just look around us, we'll see why God's placed us in that particular place, in that particular moment. All we have to do is look. Just look through those spiritual eyes of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that are now open to, the, to people and to the needs of the people around us, and we'll start to see what God is at, at work doing. And so God says to him, go and, and, uh, and speak to him. And so Philip in verse 30 runs up and he heard, hears him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. I love the encounter as we see it here, orchestrated by God himself. This is, this is what we call the, the mission of God. You know, the thing that amazes me about our Lord is he just keeps coming to us. You know, Adam and Eve sin, and, and what does God do? God comes to Adam and Eve. God is ready to destroy the, the world, and what does God do? God comes and speaks to, to Noah. God is choosing to make a people for himself, and God comes to Abraham and tells him to leave his family and to start a new people. God comes to Jeremiah and says, I knew you all the way back in the womb. God comes to his disciples and says, follow me. And God one day came to me and said, John, you need to know who I really am. And I responded to know him and to love him. This eunuch, he travels all the way to Jerusalem. He, he buys the scroll of Isaiah. He, he reads the scroll of Isaiah. 
He comes to a very specific text in in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 32. It says, now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he has been led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opens his mouth. I mean, how much more can God serve it up, right? I hear, hear, I, I mean... You just, I, it just it blows my mind sometimes the things that God does is God puts us in certain places. And so the eunuch says to Philip in verse 34, who, who is this about? About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opens his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus Christ. God himself orchestrates this particular moment. He and then Philip, he, he, he speaks when he's given the opportunity. The Ethiopian is, is seeking to, to know God. He, he sees this, this one from, from the scriptures and he wants to understand. One day we were, we just finished a, a volunteer group. We were living in a, it's called an enclave city in North Africa. It's a Spanish city, has a big fence around it. Um, North Africans, Moroccans can cross over with an identity card, but no one else can, and, and especially not from other countries. It's very difficult to get into the city. And we just finished a volunteer group. We'd been showing the Jesus film because all these Moroccans are able to cross over, and, and we'd done a whole lot of open-air evangelism, a lot of things because it was a Spanish city, yet in North Africa. And it was, it was always a blast. And we'd pass out literature. It was, we had the only thing going in their particular language at that time that it was illegal to write their language. And, but in Spain, you know, we could do whatever we wanted. So we, we would write it and we'd hand it out, right? I mean, it was awesome. People would come up to us asking us for stuff. All these Muslims would come up to us because they'd never seen their, their stuff written before, right? Because it was illegal. And so it was amazing times. But after a week of a volunteer group, I'm just going to tell you, missionaries on the field, man, they're tired after a week of a volunteer group. Man, you guys have been running us for 12, 15, 18 hours a day. And then you have all these different needs, right? You know, and somebody, you know, drinks the water or something, and you got a mess on your hands. So, you know, you're working through all of these different things, and, and I'm, I'm exhausted, right? I'm just exhausted. So that, that Monday morning, I, Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember when it was, I, I was walking to the, the apartment where we'd been keeping our, our volunteers and just needed to straighten some things out, see what we needed in the volunteer because we're getting another group in a, in a week or so. And as I'm out on the street, I meet this little guy. And I'm sorry, he was just a little guy he, and skinny, skinny as he could be, man. He, he, was, he was skinny, tiny, looked bad. Now he, tell he'd been beaten up. Um, and I thought, man, what do we got here? And I try and speak to him, and, and he, I can't speak to him. Um, he doesn't speak any language that, that I know. Um, and, uh, but I, I can see I, I got to do something for this guy, right? I mean, he, he just, he looks too rough. I, I know that he is, he has somehow crossed that border. And so I, I took him and, and I took him to, to the, the volunteer house because I, I, honestly, I didn't know what to do with him. And, and we had water and we had food. I got him all of those things and we had some there in the fridge, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and I said, just stay here. You, you can stay here. And so that afternoon I left him with all that he needed. And I said, now listen, don't leave here because I knew it was, it was a little bit dangerous for him to leave. I didn't, I didn't you know, the police could pick him up and, and send him back across the border. And I, I, we needed to figure out some things first. So I put him in the house and 
Um, I thought, man, I, I, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And so the next morning I go to find him, right? Now, you got to understand North Africans, man, it's like the internal temperature gauge in their bodies has disappeared, right? So, so I walk in to, to the, the apartment. I'm calling for him. He's not responding. I'm thinking, oh, man, what's happened to this guy? And, and of course, I don't know really how to even talk to him because it's different language. And, and I find him, and he's in the bunk, and he's like three blankets over the top of him. Man, it's, it's hot already, right? But he has three blankets over the top of him. And because he's so small, the blankets aren't moving. You know how when you breathe, you know, the blankets go up and down? Well, his blankets aren't moving up and down. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I got a dead guy in this apartment, and he's illegal. I don't even know who to call, right? I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I'm like, this is not good. And uh, so I think, well, you know, the first thing you do is, is you shake somebody, right? If they're not moving, you shake them. So I go over and I, I shake him, scare the daylights out of him, probably almost killed him. Um, and, and he wakes up and uh, he was alive. Um, that was good. So um, what I ended up doing is, is I put him in, uh, we were working really closely with a Christian rehab center at that time, and I, I put him up in this Christian rehab center because he couldn't speak language. I, I, didn't, I couldn't get him to, to, to declare for asylum yet because we couldn't speak any language. He had no paperwork whatsoever. Well, as he, he then learned Spanish, he's a really sharp guy. He learned Spanish pretty quickly. We start to hear his story. And he said, he said listen, I, I'm from Mauritania. So Mauritania is to the south of Morocco. It is a completely different language. To get to where we were, he had to cross a majority, a big part of the Sahara Desert. And he said, you know, when I was in Mauritania, he, he was, a, he was a, um, a journalist, a news journalist. He said, while I was in Mauritania, I, I realized that Islam was wrong. It just wasn't right. But in Mauritania, they, they declare 100% of all Mauritanians are Muslims. That's not true, but that's what they say. They're very Islamic, very, very, very strong. He said, I, I had no way to find the truth. And so I decided that I was going to get to Malia one way or another, and so I just left. And so he, he crossed the desert. He would have crossed minefields. I mean, he would have, it would have just been a treacherous trek. By the grace of God, he gets to Malia. And, and as he was getting to Malia, he said to God, he said, okay, look, I don't know what the truth is. So the very first person I meet, that's what I'm going to become, right? So if he met a Jehovah Witness, he'd be Jehovah Witness. If he met a Mormon, he'd be a Mormon. If he met a Catholic, he'd be Catholic. And he stumbles into me. And we're able to put him in this Christian rehab center. He starts to hear the gospel fluently as he learns language. And he comes to faith in Jesus and is later baptized because God put him in a particular place at a particular moment. And I was just graced with the opportunity to see him and to care for him well. You see, God is, God is all the time. And the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, it's not a strange story. It's a story of God at work in the world. Now, I want you to notice something else about this story. Um, in verse 31, it says, he says, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? If you open up your Bibles to, to Romans chapter 10, 
verses 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So salvation is, is easy. For everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, it says in verse 11. But then look at the call of the church beginning with verse 12. Well, verse 12 says, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14 is where we speak to the church. And how will they call on the one in whom they've not believed? How will this Mauritanian call on the one in whom they've not believed? How will this Ethiopian call on the one in whom they've not believed? How will Zidun call on the one in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? I love Romans 10 because it reminds us that, man, people don't get saved in isolation. People get saved because we go and tell. Romans 10 is reminding us that we have this responsibility to go. We have this responsibility to be Philip in the world. Despite the persecution, despite the trouble, despite what God is calling him to do, he goes and he does what God is calling of him. And we as the church have this responsibility to go and, and to, to go here in Cincinnati and, and to go to Ohio and to go to the U.S. and, and to go overseas and, and to proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard because they cannot know unless they hear. We have this responsibility to go and to tell. We can't just live our lives and say, oh, look at how holy I am, and maybe others will be drawn to the Father because of my holy life. It doesn't work like that. We live holy lives so that we can go and tell. We live different from everybody else so that we can go and tell. We are unique. We are called out so that we can go and tell. And so we see that in the life of, of Philip, and, and, and we see that in our lives. We are called to go and to tell, and then God works as a result of often what feels like our broken message because God is at work in the hearts of people. Man, don't forget that God is at work in the hearts of people. God is at work in people's hearts from, from Mauritania to, to Iraq to Ohio, God is at work in the hearts of people. And we get this amazing privilege to go and to tell. And so Philip does just that. He, he starts with that scripture and he tells them the good news and they're going along the road and they come to some water and, and the, the eunuch, again, Luke is emphasizing something for us here. He doesn't call him the Ethiopian here. He wants to call him the eunuch for a reason. He says the eunuch said, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? You see, there were a lot of things that were preventing him from participating in worship. The biggest of those was the fact that he was a eunuch. And then on top of that, that he was either some form of Gentile or Jew that was outside, and he was from Ethiopia, and he was separate from everyone else. And so he says, so here's water, what prevents me from being Baptized. Zidun said, what prevents me from being baptized? My Mauritanian friend said, what prevents me from being baptized? And the only thing that prevents you from being baptized is the fact that you haven't made the confession that Jesus is Lord 
and you haven't believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But once you have done that, man, then there is nothing that prevents us from being baptized. You see this demonstration of faith as he puts his hope, faith, and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a public demonstration. This, this Ethiopian was not traveling by himself. One that would be super dangerous at the time. Because of his position of power and prestige, he would have had a whole entourage of people with him. And they would have had their own worship. They would have had their own gods. They would have had their own forms. They would have had their own ways of being. And so when he says, I want to be baptized, he's doing that publicly amongst the people who don't even know or understand what is going on. And so he makes a public profession, a public demonstration of the work of God in his life. A lot of times we, we look at this text and we wonder how he was baptized. Where was the water from? In the desert, there is water. Trust me, I've, I've, I've traveled the Sahara Desert, and it's amazing where you run into water and the things that you see. And so I can just imagine this body of water. He sees it there. It's not always the greatest of water. It's not the place you want to necessarily be. But he says, baptize me. I need to do this. And so Philip takes him out, and he baptizes him. And then he goes on rejoicing. Verse 39, they came out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. I love that part of the text. So what do we, what do we learn from the, this story this morning? First of all, I want you to see that God met the Mauritanian exactly where he was. Man, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what has been done to you. It doesn't matter how isolated you feel or how separated you might think you are from the rest of those who are around you. Let me just tell you that God comes right to where you are. He loves to meet us in our past. He loves to meet us in our sin. He loves to meet us right where we are so that he can make a change because he created you to be in fellowship with him. The problem is the sin has separated us from God. And God is standing before us, and he's saying, just come to me. Let me be what I created you to be, and that is my son or my daughter. God comes to us wherever we are. And this morning, wherever you are, in whatever state you find yourself, whatever condition you, 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 you see yourself in, let me just tell you that God comes to you in that state and in that position. A few years ago, I was in Ecuador, and I met a man by the name of Isidoro, and my dad loved this guy. He, he was 105 when I met him, um, and uh, he, was just, he was just an amazing guy. And we're sitting down in his living room, and he's telling me about my grandpa. So my grandpa was the one who won him to, to Jesus, right? And my dad had always told me this story about this fireman who had come to church one Sunday morning just completely wasted. I mean, like he couldn't walk hardly anywhere. Um, just totally wasted. And so I, I asked him to tell me his story, and he said, well, you know, John, um, one day I, I, I went into this church. I was a fireman at the time. That's why my dad remembered it. He was just a little kid at the time. And uh, he said, man, I, I had been drinking way too much. I knew something had to happen in my life. And when I got into the church, your grandma took me into another room and just started downing coffee into me. Man, I mean, like, she was just making me drink coffee. But he was Ecuadorian, so it was all good, right? So he's drinking all this coffee, and he sobers up, and he said, then your grandpa came in. And your grandpa preached the gospel to me. Despite everything that I had done, everything I had been, 
the condition in which I had walked into the church that night, I knew that Jesus loved me. And I knew I needed to make a change. So he made a change. And for the next 70 years, 80 years, he was 105, so I don't know, man, 80 years, he followed Jesus faithfully. I said to him, I said, well, so Isidoro, you're, you know, you're 105, what do you do now, brother? And he said, well, John, I, I still have a Sunday school class I teach. I said, really? He said, yep. I teach a bunch of young ladies. And I, I said, a bunch of young ladies? He said, yeah, they're all 70, 80 years old. When you're 105, that's young, you know? But his faithfulness to the gospel, his passion for who Jesus was, all because he stumbled into church one Sunday and he encountered Jesus. And God meets us where we are, y'all. And he wants to meet you right where you are. And, and all of that sin and all of that stuff that you find around your life, man, God is there. Don't miss him. And the second thing we see from this story is that public, public proclamation is, is necessary. The Ethiopian said, man, I got to be baptized. Let me be baptized. He needed to make a public proclamation of his faith. And we too make public proclamations of our faith. And I invite you to make that public proclamation of faith. Then the last thing I want you to see is when God calls you to do something, do it. Man, you don't know who he's going to put you in contact with. You don't know what he's going to do in your life. And it may seem like the craziest thing, but God has something amazing for you. Don't miss it. Followers of Jesus, when God calls you to go speak to someone, when God impresses on you that you need to go do something, go do it. Don't miss it, because God is at work, and God wants to work in your heart, and God wants to change your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.